Welcome to Bonjour Bitch. My name is Charlotte and I'm many things, but most importantly for this podcast, I am multicultural and sometimes a bitch. We're going to talk about everything from relationships to daily life, all from a multicultural point of view. Each week, I'll be accompanied by the most amazing guests to delve further into topics that really affect us all. You'd better get ready for it, bitches. Hi, everybody. Welcome to today's episode where we will be discussing all things mental health with the fabulous Natasha Devon, activist, author and radio LBC presenter and MBE I read as well. Hi, Natasha. Hello. How are you? Good. Thank you. How are you? Yeah, really well. It's a gorgeous sunny day here in London. So that's always a good start. I know, but it's early. It's 8.30 in the morning. <laughs> do you do your radio shows in the morning? No, my show is every Saturday night from 7 to 9 p.m. But obviously you you get in a lot earlier than that to do all the prep, etc. But I would be okay with a breakfast show, I think. I'm quite a kind of morning person. Sometimes I see breakfast show presenters, they're like up and out of their house at like 4 a.m. I like, know. Oh, my God. Anyway, let's get started. Tell me a bit where your family originates from. That's a really complicated question. <laughs> um, because... <laughs> Tell me more. <laughs> so, so my mum is um, white British and her and my dad broke up when I was about one, I think. And then I saw my dad on and off until I was maybe three. So I don't have that many memories of him. I've reconnected with him since. But um, I also remembered that was that he had dark skin and dark curly hair. That was all I remembered about him. And then my mum... Uh, told me what she knew, which was that he was Jewish, but then, you know, that could mean anything, couldn't it? Like, yeah. <laughs> so it's not until really recently that I've discovered anything about my heritage. And it turns out that my family on my dad's side are from, you know, where kind of Southern Italy and North Africa, it, you know, you've got a lot of kind of mixing yeah. there. That, that That's where like 50% of my DNA is from there. I did one of those DNA things. Oh, I love those totally makes sense because every time I go to the Amalfi Coast I'm like oh everything's right I feel like I'm home <laughs> and I am so so that's great but then when I was five my mum married a man from Sierra Leone uh, in West Africa my brother's father and him and my mum aren't together anymore but they were together for 20 years so he pretty much brought me up uh, so culturally I have a lot of influence from there if not genetically interesting that's mm. so interesting so have you been able to broach on the subject more with your father about your origins and where he comes from and his heritage or is that still a sort of subject that you're not really talking about yet I don't think that he really knows that much about it like he's told me about I think my great grandparents were the first people to come to Britain and he, his grandparents, and he knows about them, but further back than that, other members of my family have done family trees and, and things, but yeah, it's not really, we, yeah, we don't talk about that kind of stuff. We don't talk about anything really. Interesting. <laughs> but I mean, obviously nobody on the podcast will be able to see, but if you look up Natasha, you'll be able to see, cause you're very like pale skinned, right? I am right now. Yeah. <laughs> because, result of lockdown. Yeah. Result of lockdown. But it's, it's interesting because I, I tan like that. I go, I go very dark. When you see pictures of me as a kid where I spent more time outside, I look brown. 
And what's interesting to me is I've got two brothers from my stepdad, one of whom is a lot darker than me. The other one is the same color as me. So pe people always think that my middle brother was adopted because they can see that me and my youngest brother are related. Genes are just weird things. That's so weird. Yeah. That's interesting though, because so my mum is British, Austrian, very white, blue eyes, blonde hair. And my dad is French Spanish in winter um, because his French side is sort of divided from the south, but near the Pyrenees and then Brittany. He's quite pale in winter. Mm. But then as soon as you put him in the sun, he goes really brown. Yeah. And I'm very much like that. So I'll go really dark, really fast. Whereas my sister has completely inherited the pasty English jeans mm. and like literally just stays milk color the whole year round. Or if she goes in the sun, just burns. Like, will not ever tan. <laughs> it's so strange, isn't it? And I always know when kind of the sun is starting to come out, usually when we're not in lockdown, because I get that question of where are you from? Where are you from? And I'll be like Essex. And then people will say, no, no, before that. <laughs> I start to look not British at that point. <laughs> Love it. So obviously one thing that defines you is that you are an activist. What motivated you to become an activist? Well, originally um, in 2008, I started going into schools talking about mental health, but not mental illness. It was more the kind of day to day things that young people struggled with. So things like body image, um, exam stress, bullying, sexuality. It was based on what young people told me they wanted more information on. And the more time I spent with young people in schools, the more I realized well, first of all, the huge discrepancy in the kind of education that you'll get is really a kind of postcode lottery in terms of funding and resources for schools. And also just how some groups of young people and their teachers and their parents are really disadvantaged. So it was traveling around the country and meeting lots of people just made me really um, angry, I guess, about the, the state of the world. And that's where the activism came from. And do you think that being a woman has helped or hindered you along the way of your career? That's an interesting question. I think when it comes to mental health, it's so vast and it's so saturated with women that men are a novelty. And I have noticed that in terms of when people are sharing their experiences and their stories, when men talk about having mental ill health, you know, it's always like, oh, he's so brave. He's so brave. Whereas with women, it's like, oh, she's a drama queen or she's exaggerating. Mm. And something else that I found is I say anything. I mean, I, I, I have some qualifications in mental health, but I work with experts in neuroscience, psychology, psychiatry to ensure that everything in my lessons is correct. And I also, you know, I have an ongoing relationship with them and they, some of them work for universities. And so I know about reports that are coming out, et cetera, et cetera. So everything that I will say publicly is expertise, even if I'm not the expert it came from, if you see what I mean. Yeah. But regardless of that, you know, people don't know much about my career trajectory, I don't think. And it's always, what are your qualifications? I don't think you're qualified to be talking about this. And I just can't see, if I was a man in a suit, I just can't see them asking that question. So from that regard, I think it's, it's hindered me. But then I also think 
people are generally more comfortable, even boys, I think, are more comfortable talking to a woman about their mental health. So in terms of really kind of talking to people and understanding them on the ground, I think it's a it's a benefit. Tell me a bit, I saw that you've traveled the world to talk and to speak about mental health and body image and social equality. Can you tell me a bit more about that? It seems fascinating. Oh, it really is. So I, my favorite place that I've ever been is Nepal. Um, I did I did work in a British school there and I loved it because Nepal is a de- developing country and they've uh, is a developing uh, city, I should say, and they've just had an earthquake. So you go there, it's really dusty. There's motorbikes whizzing around that the pavements are kind of all cracked and there's what do you call them like wires hanging down mm. and also just cows everywhere just wandering around uh, just rabid cows and um, (laughs) for that reason you can't be typing on your phone you can't be listening to a podcast like you you have to be present you have to be mindful you have no choice while you're there and it was a really kind of different way of living and then my favorite thing that I did while I was there was myself and one of the teachers in the school hired bikes and we cycled around all of the temples at night and people just kind of you just see people sat on the pavement there's such a sense of community there people just hang out all the time and it's very peaceful and the only thing that I found I sort of discovered from talking to charity leaders there was everybody's really friendly and really smiley and quite calm and quiet and I loved that and they said yeah there's a real taboo in expressing anger here. So a lot of the young men in particular were saying to me, how can I stop myself from feeling angry? And I was saying, well, you you shouldn't be trying to stop yourself feeling angry. It's about what you then do with that emotion and how you express it. And there are positive and negative ways, but um, they felt that to feel anger was in itself a failing. And that was having an impact on their mental health. So that was interesting. And then I do a lot of work out in the Far East And that's actually where I got the idea for my last book is all about exams and how looking after your mental health makes you cleverer and improves your ability to retain information and think creatively. And I had the idea because I I went to China and I realized the only way I was going to get particularly the parents, but also the young people to care about mental health was if I proved to them that it would get them a higher grade. (laughs) I was like, that's the only way I'm going to do it. And then I did lots of research into it. And I realized that that's absolutely true, actually. So, uh, you know, I didn't have to, to embellish in any way. That's amazing. It's so interesting. So did you go to Kathmandu after the earthquake? Yes. Uh, See, I went in 2008. So Mm. well before the earthquake. And I loved it as well. And it's very much like you said, I remember we were crossing the road and there were all these motorbikes and they had things hanging down from the handlebars. And we're like, what is that? They were live chicken hanging from their feet. Wow. And their crests were like (laughs) so close to the floor. We were like, oh my God, how are these poor chickens going to survive? (laughs) But it, it is a magical place and... I think probably traveling so much and meeting so many different people, so many different cultures, every culture has its failings or its different ways of perceiving things or that men can't express themselves or that women can't express themselves or, you know, even the anger thing here, anger is 
a macho thing mm. you know to be angry whereas in Nepal it's clearly a failing I think it's super interesting because then you can probably draw parallels and sort of teach other cultures about these other different ways and open people's minds a bit more yeah it's, well I think it's interesting because it makes you step outside your culture that there's so many things that we just take for granted like particularly when it comes to body image we think that what we think about beauty just is innate and then you travel around the world and you realize that each country has completely different ideas about what beauty is I tell you what was interesting having grown up in a mixed race family going to Dubai you know Dubai is one of the most multicultural places I think there's like 200 different races and religions in in that one area but what, one of the first things I noticed when I got there is that they don't mix. And the genders don't mix, skin colors don't mix, religions don't mix. So you see Arab men with Arab men and black women with black women. And you very rarely see mixed race couples, mixed race friendship groups. And that actually made me very grateful for London, actually, where we're all just kind of a big melting pot. True. I mean, I grew up in Geneva, which is also very much the same, big melting pot. And you never really even think about it. Mm. But yeah, very interesting. So obviously you've been traveling a lot, but not lately because of lockdown. Uh, <laughs> I miss traveling so much. Do you think that this global pandemic and the lockdown in general that all everybody's been experienced has made people move forward in their thoughts in regards to body image and social equality? I think the one positive in terms of my work is that, you know, one of my my key messages as a campaigner is look, we've all got mental health in just the same way as we all have physical health. If you've got a brain, you have a level of mental health. And I think for a lot of people, the pandemic was the first time they'd ever noticed that they felt anxious or stressed or had low mood. So a lot of people who didn't think that mental health was relevant to them are suddenly realizing that they have a brain just just like everyone else and so from that point of view there is an opportunity there I think to educate people I mean I would say most of the young people I work with have been spending a lot more time on social media and whilst I'm always very keen to emphasize the positives of social media because I think it gets it gets blanket demonized and the truth is more nuanced than that when it comes to body image that there's very little positive that can be said for for social media. And and in fact, there was one study that showed that whilst every country has its own beauty paradigm, the fact that I think it's about 4 billion people now are on social media was bringing the paradigms into standardization. So essentially, wherever you went, people were saying, I want to look like a Kardashian, you know, regardless of what the beauty standard was in, in their country, which I... I think is a shame and I think it's kind of dull um, Mm. (laughs) that everybody would want to look the same. Having said that, I I did a TV show called Naked Beach and it was based on a piece of research by uh, my co-presenter, Dr. Keon West. And it showed that if you have low body image and you're surrounded by a diverse range of naked bodies, it improves the way you feel about your own body. And we did a, a kind of controlled experiment where we sent people to go and live on a Greek island with naked people 
and it did improve their body image. But I think the takeaway from that show is if you can make your social media more diverse and follow lots of different people who look different from each other and show you things that we've all got, like scars and stretch marks and cellulite and, you know, vitiligo and and all, and all the kind yeah. of broad spectrum of the human condition, that will be positive. So the, the message that I'm trying to give to young people at the moment is diversify your online wallpaper. Yeah. I actually watched Naked Beach not long ago in lockdown. I loved it. Oh, yay. I'm so glad. <laughs> I loved it. I actually got really emotional at the end when, you know, you could see that these people who couldn't even look at themselves in the mirror mm. were then like naked on a beach. Like I thought yeah. it was fabulous. Yeah, it was it was really emotional. And I I was really proud of Bareface TV is the production company that made that because it's so difficult to do anything to do with body image or mental health on TV because TV is by definition a visual format and you want to show the journey. So I think a lot of the stuff ends up being kind of oversimplified or a bit gimmicky. And whilst, yes, you know, the gimmick in Naked Beach was that they got naked on a beach, there was so much kind of depth and subtlety to what they were doing. And the mentors, the, the eight body positive mentors were just such incredible people. They were so inspiring. I mean, yeah. it even made me, because I sort of binge watched it, and it even made me think differently about my body. You always have, especially as a woman, you know, you always sort of think, oh, do my legs look like that? You know, when you see somebody pass in the street and you're like, oh, do my legs look like that in boots? Oh, oh God, oh. And you sort of automatically dramatize about it. Yeah. And, you know, I think other programs, and I will say that in the UK, we're actually able to show naked bodies on TV, you know, not nipples get blurred out like on American TV. The other day I was watching a program where a baby was being born on American program. They blurred out the newborn baby's nipples. Wow. And I was just like, they're nipples. Like mm. men have them, women have them, everybody has nipples, regardless of who you are. All animals, all mammals have them. Like, come on, it's nipples. Like, it's fine. But yeah, and I was thinking, you know, there's also naked attraction, mm. which obviously is you know, you can have your thoughts about it. Yeah. But what I like about it is that they're all kinds of bodies and genitalia and it's fine. Yeah. You know? I, I do think we're a bit weird about nudity in Britain, though, compared to other countries, because I think it's it's only allowed if it's sexual. If you look at uh, the way that we are about breastfeeding, for example... You know, up until recently, there was a real taboo about breastfeeding in public. And it's like, that is literally what breasts were invented for. That's why they exist. <laughs> and then uh, and then we had this weird sort of year where the No More Page 3 campaign was very big. So, so I was like, so we have breasts on the third page of our best-selling newspaper, but we can't use them to feed a baby. And that was a really kind of strange dynamic for me yeah no no it's true it's true I mean I'm pregnant at the moment some of my friends who have had babies or who are pregnant as well some of them are German and they're like oh yeah like anywhere where I am I'll just whip my breast out and feed my kid and I'm like oh no I'll at least put a shawl over like yeah I don't want to disturb anybody <laughs> and you know they're like oh no I really don't care whereas I feel that 
not that I'm prude, but I'm like, I wouldn't want to disturb anybody with my breast. And mm. I just feel, however, though, you know, I totally, I, I walk around the house naked. And if my neighbors sort of see me, then I'm like, oh, hello, enjoy. Um, <laughs> I feel everybody's going to check if they live near me now. <laughs> But I just, I don't have a problem with my body, but I'm very conscious that I don't want it to be a problem for anybody else, if that mm. makes sense. Yeah, it does. I just think that we're all naked under our clothes. And I, and I do feel that other European countries have a much more sensible attitude to nudity, whereby if you're naked, they don't automatically attach a kind of sexy angle to that it's just mm. a body and that's much healthier I think it's like are there nudist beaches in the UK not that I've ever seen because I grew up obviously I'm half French so in France it's very common for women to do topless like it's mm. super super common in Spain as well and my husband is from in Italy let's not even talk about it but <laughs> it's just here I'm just thinking I don't think I've ever seen somebody do topless in the UK no. And if, and if they are, if they do, if people go topless on the beach, if women go topless on the beach, I should say, it is like a huge deal. Like it's a big statement. Oh, look at her over there. Oh my yeah. God, she's... <laughs> it's, yeah, we're, we're very, it, I do think we've, we've retained some of that Victorian prudeness but then we're also a bit kind of like carry on film, you know, 1950s postcard, like way about it as well. It's a really strange <laughs> attitude to have. It's as if we want to move forward, but we can't. It's weird. Obviously, coming back to the pandemic, there's been a significant rise in mental health issues during the lockdown. And it's been proven with stats and everything. How do you think that we could all do something to help each other? even though we can't be together? Because, I mean, Zoom helped initially, but I think we're all a bit Zoomed out now. Is there anything else that we can do for ourselves, for others? What would be your top tip? Well, I think the thing to bear in mind is that it's not talking in of itself that has the therapeutic value because so many mental health campaigns, they're like, just talk, just talk. And it annoys me a bit because... I'm like, if I'm imagining if I was really struggling with my mental health and then I saw something that said, just talk. And then the person that I talked to was really unhelpful or didn't get it. That's going to set me back. And in fact, the, the value comes from connection. So it's, it's just as valuable to teach people how to listen properly and, and empathize. And you can create connection in all kinds of different ways. So for example, I've started like proper Jane Austen, old fashioned writing letters to some of my friends and family. Oh, I love it. Yeah. And it's, and it's nice. And I think it, there is something about it being in your handwriting and, you know, and, and it arriving in the post and, and everything that makes that special. That's a way of creating connection. I also think you know, just doing things for people in your community. One of my neighbors is shielding. And so I, you know, I text her and say, do you need anything from the shop whenever I'm going to the shop? I think it's just being thoughtful, donating to charity when and if you can, you know, particularly like homeless charities at, at the moment, yeah. um, you know, anything, anything that you can do to help and also taking extra time for yourself because you can't pour from an empty cup. And, and I've certainly found like, throughout the pandemic, I've never done so much yoga 
I'm just literally like it's all the self-care in the world because uh, you know I think we we all feel about two inches away from breaking and if, and yeah. if you break you can't help anyone else and on that note what would be your last words of wisdom for our listeners in general pandemic or no pandemic uh, so uh, my favorite quote is uh, Jiddu Krishnamurti he says it's no measure of health to be well adjusted to a profoundly sick society And I think we have a real opportunity now. I think what the pandemic has done is it's highlighted problems which were actually already there. And there's an opportunity now to rethink some of the ways that we do things. So don't just accept stuff that's unfair. It's very right what you say, because I think, you know, in light of things like Black Lives Matter and things like that, people have maybe had time to reflect on certain matters that maybe they would have brushed under the carpet and would have disappeared within a week Mm. from the media and never been spoken again. And I think people have had time to think and say, hang on a second, this isn't okay. I I don't agree with this. And whether it's actually participate in physical protests or protest from home or even reach out to other people and start a discussion I think it has definitely sort of lit a fire in that Mm. way which I'm very pleased in seeing hasn't gone away and is still sort of burning and you know me the first I feel I've learned so much about it that if there hadn't been a pandemic I don't know if I would have been able to learn that much about it and be privy to certain discussions and thoughts and understanding it more obviously it's one of many issues in our society and I think we'd have to have a lifetime of pandemics to deal with all of them (laughs) at this rhythm but I think that's a really really good quote to end on thank you it's time for the bitch fire round before we finish, we have our bitch fire question round. Um, so basically, I will ask you, uh, for example, dog or cat, and your answer would be? Don't make me choose. Love both equally. <laughs> okay. So <laughs> Netflix or Prime? Netflix. Bath or shower? Bath. ASOS or Zara? ASOS all day. <laughs> Sweet or savory? Savory. Coffee or tea? Coffee. Winter or summer? Mm, summer. For the tan, right? <laughs> yeah. <laughs> City or countryside? City. Vintage or new? Vintage. Instagram or Twitter? Instagram. Lil, listen, Natasha, thank you so much for joining us today on Bonjour Bitch. Can you please remind us of your social media handle? Yeah, I'm underscore Natasha Devon. Amazing. And we can find you on LBC on Saturday evenings, correct? That's right, yeah. Amazing. Well, listen, thank you so much. You were an absolute pleasure to discuss with this morning. Um, Have a lovely day and I'll speak to you all soon. Remember to tune in next Monday for a brand new episode and please rate and subscribe wherever you listen to your podcast. It really does help us out. We'll see you then. Au revoir, bitches. (laughs) 